Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg. I'm joined today by our producer and my colleague, Hamel Javeri. Hamel, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Ted? I'm doing well. And, and I know uh, we both want to do some... We, we collected some good questions from the internet for a bit of a Q&A session like we did last week, which was fun. Which was uh, fun. Uh, ideally, we can keep it under an hour, but I guess no guarantees on that. But uh, <laughs> before we get into questions people asked us, and excuse the ham-fisted segue here, but we <laughs> stumbled upon a, a relevant or a, a related topic uh, that is also topical sports news, and that's uh, Ronda Rousey, uh, UFC fighter. Uh, obviously, uh, I think everyone knows who Ronda Rousey is if you're listening mm-hmm. to this podcast. It's unless you're uh, maybe my mom, um, but if, for my mom, then I guess Ronda Rousey is an extremely successful, has been an extremely successful uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship fighter. Uh, she is certainly the most visible athlete in that sport. She's she's no longer the champion, but uh, remains a, a transcendent star. As we know, you know from from writing on the internet, Ronda Rousey is always a big deal. Uh, she is returning to action this weekend for the first time in a long time, and she has done no media whatsoever surrounding the event. Now we are. I would say I am no expert on the UFC. Is uh, is it fair to say that the same is true for you? I, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. I would say that my uh, my opinions about the UFC generally, you know, I'm one of those, like, uh, it's one of the things that I kind of understand how sports fans, like people who aren't sports fans, feel about sports when I think about the UFC. I understand that it's athletic, and I understand, you know, that there's, like, competition and stuff, but the appeal of it is is lost on me. <laughs> I feel the same way. I I mean, for the most part, like, aesthetically, I don't love the sport. I am... I guess sort of ambivalent about the the violent aspect of it, like because I'm mm-hmm. I'm fine watching boxing. I get that it can be a devastating thing. I get that it's a really violent thing. But to me, uh, I always find that at least in in watching the MMA that I've seen, it feels like a lot of sort of for considering what a brutal sport it can be. And I have no mm-hmm. doubt that the people are incredibly incredibly talented at what they're doing. Right. I rarely find the fights all that compelling, but I'll say that uh, during Rousey's heyday, it was a, certainly a, a cool thing to watch because so often she would put people away in like 27 seconds and stuff. Yeah. So uh, you watch, or you can watch an entire Ronda Rousey fight sometimes in a Twitter video, you know, because mm-hmm. it would it would happen so fast. And I, and I kind of always love dominance like that it really in any forum and so you know i i, I enjoyed in, in that i can i enjoyed uh seeing some of that but I mean, more we have i think no one wants to hear our ufc analysis it's safe to say because neither of us really knows what we're talking about uh i have certainly been beat up more than i've i've done <laughs> the beating up uh and and but we are members of the media right so i think yep. i maybe we do have some expertise in uh the athlete media relationship and perhaps how it's changing a little bit right now right because mm-hmm. ronda rousey operates in a sport and and i guess i would extrapolate ufc uh, to sort of uh as an extension of boxing to some extent right and and uh, boxing has always been sort of a, a very, a very, a very, very hype sport, and UFC uh, has always been a very hype-driven sport. And so it's strange to see someone just sort of bail out on the hype altogether. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's actually one of the interesting things about this. It's, I mean, the fight itself, I guess, is compelling if you're a UFC person. And this is a little inside media, like you said. But Ronda Rousey has not said, has not done any press leading up to the fight, which for UFC is incredibly unusual. Um, I We talked about this earlier, but I actually think it's kind of kind of great like she you know nina mandel wrote about this on the site but she's using her instagram as her own personal hype machine kind of posting black and white photos very artfully done of her training um kind of to show like how physically ready she is for this um so i i wonder if it's just a different kind of hype like she's making headlines by not saying anything at all and I think the other flip side is that she lost last time. Like, you know, the last time that she fought, she was doing so much media and there was a lot of trash talk involved um, and she lost. And I do think, like, personally, that was kind of very difficult for her, as it would be for any athlete, to to go through that entire cycle. So I wonder how much of this is calculated uh, on Ronda Rousey's part and how much of it is just like, I, I just can't deal with this anymore. Well, and I imagine at least some of it has to do with, you know, her relationship to the the governing body, uh, Mm -hmm. which has been, you know, rocky as far as I understand. And uh, she has been, you know, sort of a very outspoken and and candid person in general. And so uh, it is a little strange to see, you know, her and and most recently, and this is we're recording this on on Thursday, uh, I believe Mm -hmm. it happened today. She arrived for her weigh-in. She was in incredibly good shape I, I suppose she probably always is but it was abundantly clear she had a rippling six-pack showed up got on the scale hit hit her mark and just sort of stormed off you know so it was a it was a jarring thing to see in again in a in a sort of a culture where hyping yourself up is is such a big part of it but i, I do think it's sort of uh maybe you know like you said i, I i'm cynical enough to believe that, like, everything an athlete of that caliber does mm-hmm. is calculated to some extent, right? That there's mm-hmm. there could be, you know, a team of publicists telling Ronda Rousey, like, there's nothing more for you to say uh, now that you're... Oh, I'm sure that's what it is, yeah. Um, all right, but, but I would also say that in her case, it's probably a little bit different than uh, athletes at lo- in, in general, right? Because she has a hype machine of her own in in her brand right in being ronda rousey that Mm -hmm. that generates the publicity you need for the fight right and and i imagine her opponent uh can't do the same and i imagine there's probably no other ufc fighter who has that type of pull where they can say i i don't need to i don't need to talk right i don't need to say a word i don't need a magazine feature about what i'm going to do about my comeback about what shape i'm in because i can just i have so many instagram followers and i have so many twitter followers and i have so many facebook followers and so many just followers and fans in general that i can bail on all of this and still be okay Oh, of course. I mean, but one of the things about UFC, just to kind of way back up to this, is that it's a lot of it is about showmanship, right? It's the same thing with boxing. Like, that's a huge part of it. Um, and because, like you said, Rousey has uh, the Instagram followers and the Facebook followers and the Twitter followers, she doesn't need to be, she doesn't need to do any of that to, to get her message across. Um, it's really interesting, though, because what she does do I mean, like you said, like it's all probably very calculated, um, but it also sends a message to the UFC that she's a part of this, but she's not really a part of it. You know what I mean? By not really participating in everything that's going on around it, because I know that she's there was a lot of talk about her wanting to quit UFC like this might be her last fight. Um, 
and that, she, like you said, she's got a difficult relationship with UFC governing body. So it's her way of kind of saying that, like, okay, I'm going to do this last fight for my reputation, but I don't want a part of, like, I don't need to be a part of anything else that's around it. Um, it's fairly punk rock, and, and I, yeah. su- I support that. Well, like, I think that's cool, uh, you know, especially if it's about her, her beef with the, the, uh, with the governing body itself. But as sports writers, you know, this does uh, – sort of jeopardize our position a little bit and it's not <laughs> uh it's it's hard to to approach it without bias in a way that's uh not going to you know burn bridges certainly with mm-hmm. some of our colleagues uh and and say well like what what was she really going to add to the mm-hmm. to the fight by talking about it and i think you could make the case that in in many cases uh athletes should not really be obligated to to say something that, that to answer dumb questions, so, right? Like it feels like while there's certainly, obviously, you know, a, a benefit to sports journalism in that it it aids our entertainment, right? And mm-hmm. it, and it helps us, you know, know some of the stories that might not show up from on a game to game basis. I have stood in so many media scrums in the course of my life where an athlete has just been peppered and peppered and peppered with questions all about the same topic and said right. literally nothing interesting, right? And, 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 and Yeah, we've both, yeah, both of us have done that, like, ad nauseum that it, it totally makes sense right now, you know, that you can understand where someone from Rousey's position is coming from, but I agree with you. And, and so, you know, I almost wonder, like, you know, maybe... I'm I'm reluctant to say like you know maybe we don't need as much access as we as we have traditionally had and, and you look at you know and like I'm in it with baseball and so the the example I know is baseball but if you go to the Yankees locker room or you go mm-hmm. to the Mets clubhouse before games and and those are New York teams where there's tons and tons of media right mm-hmm. as a as a reporter being there I I feel like most of the time unless you're sort of sideline cornering a guy for some very specific story, you're mm-hmm. really not going to get a ton that's that interesting. And once you actually find yourself in an interesting conversation with one of those guys, a lot of times what happens in New York is three or four other reporters scurry over and stick out yep. their tape recorders and get the same thing. And now I've been that guy, right? I've been on both sides of that. And so right. I can't really criticize it because when you're in there as a reporter, you're kind of playing defense, right? You're saying, oh, look, Noah Syndergaard's talking to that guy guy maybe he's saying something interesting maybe this is him coming out with you know whatever crazy statement he's going to make and this is going to be the headline grabbing thing and i'm going to miss it and i'm going to get an editor calling me up wondering why i don't have that too right but on the same time i feel like from the athlete's point of view that sort of culture makes you never want to public really reveal anything interesting about yourself, especially uh, if you're a contemporary athlete who's, you know, a- a- either savvy uh, in terms of social media or at least has a team of people behind you that is, you can control the message to some extent now. No, and that's exactly true, is that we've we've all been in these scrums as reporters where nothing interesting gets asked and the one time somebody does say something interesting everybody wants to jump on it 
Um, and a lot of this process is about building relationships with athletes. Like because the teams are so insular now, it's very, very hard for reporters to actually build that relationship to get something that's unique and interesting, which all leads them to not have to rely on the media, you know, as much as they used to have to, to be like, well, I need to get my story out. Um, and that's kind of, I feel like this is almost like Ronda Rousey's almost a natural progression is that I wonder if we'll see, you know, maybe not just UFC, but athletes kind of uh, skipping press conferences altogether, whether it's, you know, before uh, the Super Bowl or, you know, before the World Series. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me. The I'm just here to not get fined approach, which we yeah, saw from Marjorie. Exactly. And I've been on like I was in and I wrote about it. I was in the Blue Jays clubhouse in, in spring training and I tried to approach Jose Bautista about uh, the the prior uh, the 2015 ALDS series where he hit the home run and, and made the big bat flip and sort of you know mm-hmm. became the object of the Texas Rangers ire right and now mm-hmm. I thought that whole thing was awesome and what I intended to write about was how awesome I found it but Jose Bautista doesn't know me right and so he right. has no way of knowing that so when I went and asked him about it he was immediately suspicious which. I kind of understand, right? Because certainly there is a lot of negative, nasty things written about that bad flip, about it's disrespectful. He doesn't know how I'm going to twist his words around and and how I'm going to treat him in that story. And so what he told me, which did, it was, uh, I mean, it was not the nicest thing anyone's ever said was like <laughs> you i have more twitter followers than you and so i don't need to talk to you about this because if i <laughs> want to talk it to to people about it i'll just do it on my own forum and i don't need you as the conduit and that sort of left me speechless right because uh it felt kind of rude but at the <laughs> same time at the same time he is right and we do sort of need to find a way i think as as sports reporters as journalists or whatever to make yourself viable in the modern media culture in which there really, in many cases, isn't a ton about a benefit for an athlete mm-hmm. to come to you to share his story. Now, now there will be times we happen to write for a fairly large media outlet, and so that is to our advantage, right? And yeah. you know, maybe you just get the right guy in the right, right mood. But I think really what you're saying is is correct, right? Is there is um, certainly a benefit to developing a relationship with guys uh, from in birth in terms of what we do, and I think. Uh, Probably for those guys in terms of, you know, getting their stories out, in terms of, you know, if there is something interesting about yourself that you want to pitch to or or speak about or, or admit or whatever it is, uh, you know, certainly having reporters there is a is a benefit to you, right? You can get a message yeah. out. Um, but I think that, yeah, on. I think that like one of the most important things, though, like the, we're kind of veering off course here, but just to, is that you have to talk to them about what they want to talk about. Like, right. Like the bat flip thing immediately. He's, he's suspicious because he doesn't know what you're coming at. Um, but the one time I've had success or Maggie Hendricks actually, who did the interview had success was with the captain of the Chicago Blackhawks, Jonathan Taves, who is, you know, very like even keel kind of guy who just uh, has a lot of personality, but very rarely like lets it out. Um, but she managed to talk to him about something he really cared about that nobody else in the media had really talked about, which was like his interest in like sustainable gardening, um, around like NHL green month. But, and so she found like, she got like a whole bunch of great stuff from him because nobody else had kind of thought to ask about that or approach him about it. Um, 
No, I think so. Yeah. I think that's exactly it, right? And I that's think that, exactly that's, it. Yeah, that's the answer for us when you're saying, "Well, how do I get the interesting stories?" Is don't go ask a guy how did it feel to win this game. They're always yeah. going to say it felt good, right? How did it feel yeah. to lose this game? Oh, we'll get them next time. They're always going to say the same <laughs> thing, right? So exactly. I think that it's just that. And, and again, like I don't want to, you know, incur resentment from my colleagues, but I think you know we do need to work a little bit harder sometimes because I, I think this, yeah, I think it's okay. I I don't know why people would be resentful of us of us acknowledging a problem that everybody knows exists come on no i think you're absolutely i think you're absolutely yeah Yeah. i I think and and it's it's i would say more than anything it's just sort of interesting to see how it's going to go they've talked about it i know in baseball uh maybe let's not uh, open the clubhouse before games you know maybe that doesn't need to happen maybe uh you know maybe we trot out three or four willing participants for press conferences Mm -hmm. everybody sort of gets in on it and then Mm -hmm. you know and and then the, the issue there is that basically then everybody writes the same stories which is what you see really a lot during the the postseason in baseball is that you know, because it's limited, then maybe there is sort of an interesting unspoken story, and so few people are going to be able to report that, right? Because if you're going through the traditional means, you're just not going to get access to that. So, well, uh, you know what? The like when I worked in politics, there's always a pool reporter, right? You you send one person out with the president or three people out with the president, and they come back with what they're going to come back with, because the president is not going to say. Like he's not going to answer the same question 38 from 38 different reporters. So you just send a pool person, send like two people into the rocker room, see what you can get. And then they share it with everyone else. Yeah. And, and so I don't know. So I guess the the thing with that is that there are then competing, uh, and this is too insider. No one cares. Right. But there are are other newspapers and, and if I want something that's exclusive, then you can't get a pool reporter. No, that's why you got to work for it. But like, if it's uh, but if you are doing a post like a scrum right after, um, you know, they lost a regular season game, what what are they going to say? Like, I feel like at some point you got to it's OK to send in, you know, three people instead of like the regular 18. Yeah. And and again, like and I would totally I get I guess I see both sides of this is that like I totally feel for the guy in the locker room who just lost a game, right? Or who just yeah. you know made an error that ruined that ended the game. Now having to answer it like thirty different times for thirty different people, and like not being able to move at his locker because there's <laughs> just like piles and piles of people on top of him. But uh, let's. This is now we're already veering to insidery. Point is, no, Ron, okay. Ronda think, Rousey's fighting. She's not talking about it. Uh, it's fairly interesting, I think, to us, and maybe it's not interesting at all to other people but questions that are interesting to other people have come to us via the internet and there are so many of them are about food it, i we really need to this is my fault right because you've said straight up that you don't care that much about food and but whenever i say can i have some questions this is dating back like seven years now for me like 80 yeah. percent of the questions are about food which is cool like it's cool that people care what i have to say about food i guess um but man like i i don't know i like talking about lots of things i know um, but um, we've, we've okay. had, we can yeah we got good we ones. Can talk about different things. Yeah, um, we got some good ones. Uh, like starting with one from uh, my former college roommate Will, um, <laughs> who asked, uh, and I can't believe he hasn't heard me talk about this in real life, but uh, I it comes up with some frequency. Will asks, if you could redo the conference divisional system in one pro sport from the ground up, which would you do, and how would you do it? For me. 
again, uh, very baseball-centric here. Um, mm-hmm. But I actually think, like, I think the NBA having the Eastern Conference and Western Conference, I think that's cool. I like the, the geographical separation there. Um, football, it, it's a little more complicated and I think a little less necessary just because they play so few games that, like, it's your, yeah, two games against your divisional opponent uh, versus one game against the, the conference opponents. I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't feel like as big of a need for an overhaul there. Uh, whereas in baseball, there's a lot of little weird things going on with the schedule, right? They have uh, very small divisions and they have unbalanced schedules. So if you're a fan of the Atlanta Braves, you're seeing the Phillies, the Mets, the Marlins, and the, the Nationals over and over and over again, and yep. uh, it makes it, it has an impact in the standings, right? You get a situation like what happened in 2015, where really the three best teams in the National League are all in one division, as they were that year with the Cardinals, the Pirates, and the Cubs, and then you're reducing two of the three best teams to a one-game play-in uh, after they have despite the presence of those two other great teams in their divisions and those unbalanced schedules, they have distinguished themselves as the best team. So I don't think it's the most fair system. So uh, I have thought about this a lot, and I think the the answer for baseball would be actually – uh, expanding two teams. Uh, baseball is long overdue for expansion. Jonah Carey mm-hmm. talked about that, this on, on the show last week at this time, and uh, this is the longest period in baseball history, at least since the beginning of the expansion era in the 1960s, that there have not been any new teams, and baseball is uh, financially successful beyond, I think, any anyone's wildest dreams 20 or 30 years ago. So there's certainly, uh, a, a, I think, a, an appetite for new teams. Teams, and I think the, there's certainly the talent that could support that. So to me, it would be uh, adding two teams, uh, sort of killing the year-long interleague play, which is a function of having currently 15 teams in each league, so they can't all be playing each other at the same time. Right. Uh, and I would go back to uh, eight-team divisions, right? And so that way, you have a little bit less of the problem of seeing the same boring teams all the time. You have a little bit less of a problem with, uh, you know, a top-heavy division sort of being unfair to all of the good teams in that division. Uh, and uh, I would say you do more to uh, to to help out the teams that actually do win the division, which is something a lot of baseball traditionalists want, right? Like if you, uh, if you make it, if you may, if you win the division and then you face a wild card team and you only get a five game series to, and you lose to the wild card team because any team can lose a five game series. Then it seems unfair because you were better over 162 games. And why should this team that was only better for five benefit, even though that's kind of the way sports has always worked. Um, yeah. It is it is a lot of it is a way to try to squeeze order into something that is so kind of inherently chaotic, Mm -hmm. because in the end, it just comes down to a few instances uh, that kind of can make or break seasons, playoffs, all of that stuff. Yeah. So for me, I would it would be four eight team divisions. Uh, the division winners move on to the first round of the playoffs no matter what, and then I would probably actually expand the wild cards in baseball. In baseball, they now do you know the one-game wild card mm-hmm. game. I Perfect. would make two wild card games so that by the time the wild card team made it to the first round of the playoffs, they've now burned uh, two of their best starters, probably their two <laughs> best starters to get there. So then the the winner has more of an advantage. Now, like the counter to that is like, well, when the then the winner loses momentum, it's a complicated thing. All right. Like, I'm not saying I got the whole thing mapped out. This is just sort of my general plan. 
Where where would you have the two expansion teams? Uh, that's a that's a good question, and maybe for another podcast. But I'm just curious. Maybe for another podcast. Um, well, Jonah was on talking about Montreal because he's a he's a mm, huge expo. He's an expo guy. Yeah. Um, and and there's probably an appetite for it in Montreal if they could settle like a, a park for for every place. It's about you know who's going to pay for the park and and uh, if there's a ballpark. I think in a lot of places with people. Uh, you're going to get some people to come, and I think you're almost always going to get a, a big TV contract because the thing about baseball that makes so much money is that baseball provides home fans with 150 nights worth of content, uh, mm-hmm. of of like somewhat reliable ratings-wise content for the course of the season, right? So it's not mm-hmm. really about filling the seats so much as it is finding the people to watch, and I feel like there are people who are going to watch baseball uh, if no matter what the city is, but... Uh, for me, it would be either uh, on the on the east uh, east coast. I think you'd look at at Montreal certainly. Uh, Charlotte seems like a, a place where they could certainly support a baseball team. North Carolina has like a very strong baseball culture and no team. Charlotte is a growing city has has teams in in most of the other sports and all the other sports um, and. Uh, Possibly, there's always some talk about San Juan, whether San Juan can support a team. Obviously, it's important to baseball to sort of expand the game overseas, elsewhere in the Americas, uh, if that's possible. So on the West Coast, that means uh, Monterey, Mexico, and Mexico City are kind of factors. Issue with those is just how far they are geographically from everywhere else right, would complicate away, things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, there are aspects to uh, playing in Mexico. Like when, when they do do, when they do have uh, series in Mexico, sometimes there's been issues with the water and issues with uh, various factors that, that come with, you know, playing internationally. Um, so the other one for me on the West Coast would be Portland. Uh, and a lot of that is just that I would like an excuse to spend more time in Portland. Because <laughs> it's a cool place to hang out. Super cool place um, to hang out. Yeah, no, I I don't have a lot to add to that. I think that you've done your research, obviously, and kind of nailed it down. Um, I would be NHL heavy, and I don't have any problem with like splitting up the divisions, just because the NHL is so so spread out. Like you have the Dallas Stars playing in the same conference as uh, like the Winnipeg Jets. You know what I mean? It is, I mean, it's crazy. So geographically, there isn't a lot you can do, but I would restructure the playoffs with just, you know, the top like eight teams with the best records get in just because you'll have a team that just barely would pass muster in the Western conference, uh, like would be at the bottom. will be leading, you know, the Atlantic division or the Eastern conference standings. Um, and that means there's plenty of great teams that actually don't get a chance to compete. It's not so much this year, but it happened about a couple of years ago where the Western Conference was just every single team was stacked, was stacked and you could have had the entire playoffs uh, um, if you went just by, well, these are the teams that have the best records across the league. So I think for the NHL, that's something that they need to kind of look at. Um, they're expanding to Las Vegas next year. So we'll see if that really shakes things up. It, I don't. I don't think it will. Um, but the other factor is just that there's not that many teams, uh, you know, and there's still it's still growing. Um, but it is a shame to see so many good players not even get a chance in the playoffs just because they happen to be situated on the wrong coast. Do you feel that the NHL playoffs? Because you're see to me, this is an easy answer because every mm-hmm. year I feel like it's June and I turn on TV and hockey, the Stanley Cup Finals are on. It's like what? It's the summer. I don't want to watch hockey right now. As a hockey fan, do you feel that the NHL playoffs take too long? I do. I think that even as a hockey person, by the time the playoffs are over, 
I, I, I feel like it's, I mean, I feel like the next year has already started. Do you know what I mean? It feels way, way, way too long because the playoffs start in April. They don't like start in late April, early May. They don't finish until about the same time as the NBA finals, which is June. I mean, it's just crazy. Part of that has to do with the fact that the series are way too long. They're five, seven games and you can't play back to back Um, or rarely they play back to back. They make you got to put in time for travel. And sometimes, you know, if you've got a cross country like matchup, it's they've got to take two days to fly all the way across the freaking country. Um, and hockey's brutal, right? Like you can't. Yeah, have, I mean, you it's really tough on your body. I almost feel like hockey when when you break it down because people say, well, like the baseball is 162 games, 189 games. That's a, an obscene grind, and I and I agree, that's nuts. Like if you mm-hmm. talk to me at the end of the the postseason, and and you did, uh, you find the the you hear the way that 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 drains me mentally and physically by the end and that's just one month right and i'm not even playing baseball i'm just writing about it right so the it's incredible to me that they do that but i feel like in hockey it's it's even it's it's, if it's half as many games they're beating each other up right like in in football you get a whole week off or at least you should get a whole week off they it's not always that because there's thursday night games which is a a whole separate dumb thing right but in hockey it feels like you need like three nights off after a hockey game to be i i'm I'm amazed that these guys are able to sustain the pace that they sustain. And frankly, like I can kind of understand why they're so short with the press sometimes is because they've just been getting, you know, the crap beat out of them like eight nights in a row. And here's someone like sticking a microphone in their face, asking the same stupid question they've been asking for eight nights. Um, But yeah, I think that the NFL is actually whatever problems that it does have is that I feel like that's the perfect season. Like it's short enough that every game matters, even with hockey, it's like 80, you know, 82 games. And the begin. I feel like nobody even pays attention until after the all-star break until like half the season is, is even over. And then people start like their ears start perking up as to be like, Oh, I wonder what this means for playoffs. Um, And I think hockey sort of has uh, the same thing as baseball where, because the hockey season is so long, because there are so many games, it's like you become a fan of your one team more than you're really a fan of the sport in general. And tell me yeah. if I'm off base here, but like in football, everyone's watching the playoffs, no matter which teams are in the playoffs, or at least a lot sure. of people are watching no matter what, because you're a fan of yep. football and you want great football and you're going to watch a Super Bowl. Whereas in baseball, I know uh, everybody tunes out once their team mm-hmm. is over, right? And so mm-hmm. every year you hear like World Series ratings are terrible, this, the, you know, nationwide and then you look at the World Series ratings in the specific cities and they're off the charts, right? Because by that point, they've engendered so much attachment in their city that everybody in the city is watching. And and uh, it feels to me like hockey would be almost the same way. And, and so that's why I would, I would question the length of those playoffs, just because like, even if you were like a... a, a a Ducks fan who was super into it and into the last day and the, and the Ducks didn't make the playoffs. Maybe you get some of that momentum going to the playoffs and you keep watching. Right. But yeah. when it's a month and a half or two months long by the end, it's like, no, I'm on to different stuff now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is, it's almost ridiculous. And obviously the league wouldn't do it if they couldn't sustain it financially. Um, and I'm, and even in Canada, which is supposed to be huge for, for hockey, uh, their ratings often for this past NHL final totally dipped as well, just because there were no Canadian teams playing in the playoffs. So even that has a huge geographical um, component to it. So 
Anyway, moving on. Next question. Uh, let's go to a non-sports question because we got okay. several of them. Uh, we'll start. We'll go with we'll go with a food one, and this one's for you. And it's uh, it's also from someone we know. This is from Luke, who you may know from the podcast. Luke asks Hemel, "What's it like being a vegetarian in a world of unapologetic carnivores?" <laughs> I think one, Luke. Great question. Two, it's this is a two-part answer because part of me feels very. Uh, smug and self-satisfied when we're at like a restaurant and I can like lean over to the waitress and be like I'm sorry do you have any vegetarian options like I know it makes me sound like a total a-hole but I'm okay with it so in that sense it's actually not is not terrible um the flip side is that I completely understand that it just is such a pain in the pain in the butt for other people, especially if I'm like going to their house for dinner or we're going to be in a setting where everybody wants to go to like a steakhouse. And this actually happened when we were in New York and I'm, you know, and I'll be like, great, I will just have the green beans because there is literally nothing else on this menu that I can eat. Wait, that, not, when, not when you were with me. No, no, no. Not when you, not when we were together. We went up for our boss, Jamie Matram, and I went up for a, a Facebook dinner and they... You know, it was like a whole bunch of sports affiliates and we were all talking about social media and uh, sports and Facebook, but they had it at, um, they had it at a steakhouse and it's, it's like one of these, uh, famous chains, but for the life of me, I can't remember it now. Uh, but it was like, I mean, everything was lobster or steak or chicken and there, there was literally, and the only thing I remember I had for dinner, she gave me like a plate of sides and it was like green beans but green beans that were just like were raw they didn't even have like salt and pepper on them that yeah that's sad and but i feel like so i feel like there's a big distinction here between vegetarians and vegans right because like i i have plenty of vegetarian friends and they'll come over for dinner and i can figure it out right like Mm -hmm. i'm i i would say i'm i'm an apologetic carnivore more than i am an unapologetic carnivore uh to go with luke's question but like you can i don't know like if i'm grilling up steak on the grill or burgers on the grill like you can you can get a veggie burger it might not be the best thing but you know i don't know because i've never had a veggie burger well i'm definitely i'm super uh it depends on how well i know you and how much of a fuss i'm willing to make but even if that grill has like touched meat like i i'll want like a special spot that doesn't have like meat juice on it okay <laughs> I, I mean that's i mean the grill every part of my grill has touched meat um so so I just, you, you know i just mean like direct contact no because it I, gives it gives it that weird meat flavor okay so so yeah. so most of uh the other so you've never had meat right no i've never had meat so yeah, most of the other vegetarians i regularly deal with uh are former meat eaters who still kind of want meat. You know, like my, my sister-in-law is a vegetarian. Uh, she has an occasional lapse uh, or has at least in the past. Uh, it's been a while, I think, since she's lapsed. But she's she's lapsed. Uh, my friend Pat is a is a vegetarian. He loved meat. He uh, My friend Dave is a, uh, a sort of a reluctant vegetarian who loved meat and saw a documentary about the meat industry and it was too much for him and, you know, it was like too big of a heart and like couldn't handle it anymore. So <laughs> all of those people, I think, would be more uh, willing to have meat juice on their stuff yeah. because they remember the delicious flavor of meat. But They would overlook it. But I feel like, yeah. to go back to the point, I feel like it really isn't that difficult. Like, and, and I say this as someone who doesn't really have a lot of patience, 
uh, I can respectfully be like, well, Hamill's a vegetarian. We need to think of a place where uh, it's okay to eat vegetarian, where there's options, and still find a really delicious place to eat, right? Like, it's just, yeah. it's just not that hard, I don't think. No, vegan, no, no. I mean, vegan it is... Vegan different story. I remember, yeah, vegans, it's a little bit tougher, even though it's still not as hard. I just remember, like, when we came to America, it was kind of a huge deal, like, 20-some-odd years ago like being a vegetarian anywhere was a hassle because people were not as accommodating. It was definitely not as mainstream. Um, but now it's incredibly easy. Like it's not that big of a deal. There's, like I said, there's always that one, you know, every, every year there's a handful of instances where you end up someplace that just does not have anything on the menu that isn't a bowl of steamed vegetables. So, you know, that you're, that's kind of the best thing you're going to get out of this place is, you know, steamed broccoli or something like that that's why when you come to new york you should you should always hang out with me because i will i will at least think like hey hamill's a vegetarian we can go to xian famous foods which you ate at and was incredible right you like that so good yeah well my sister was super jealous that i went too so that's it does like it hit two two buttons (laughs) perfect perfect so yeah so i could because i again like i and like and i say this as someone who always wants meat like i i want I really do eat meat and like every single meal, even though, and again, I know it's not the best for the environment. I know that like, I do think like ethically it's a complicated thing because I think it's super presumptuous to think that like as a human being, I'm just better than all other animals and I deserve to be able to eat them. But the bottom line is they're so delicious to me that I can't give that up. So which is why I'd say I'm, I'm an apologetic carnivore, but I would say that it depends on where you live. If you're in a big city, it just, it's just not that hard. I, I and it's just, I, at least, and it might be hard. Look, it's, I imagine if you go to McDonald's, that sucks, right? Because all you can have is fries in that situation. But- yeah, I mean, in that situation, you can you can only have fries. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's not that hard at all. Um, but I will say that I enjoy. It's kind of it's kind of nice. It's a little bit of smugness uh, um, that I can trot out when I feel like it. Uh, wait, so while we're on the the subject of of dietary things, can we talk about this cleanse question? Yes, this is uh, this was not a, explicitly a podcast question, but it was a question uh, Sean C asked me on Twitter, and it is uh, something I think is sort of timely because he asked, "What are your thoughts on cleanses?" I've been thinking about doing one. Now, he linked to an Esquire article about the taco cleanse, which is an actual diet, right? And and it's New Year's, or New Year's is coming up, and, and everybody makes New Year's resolutions. I don't. Right, it's time for resolutions. Many people do, and many, many people resolve to lose weight or to be healthier. And so you get, you know, I think you see a little bit of, of uptick in the popularity of cleanses and fad diets and stuff like this. And I, and I can answer this as someone who has uh, a wide, wide experience dieting, right? Like, I, I have spent... Uh, oh, really? Say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, oh, my like, gosh. So, so I have... I would say... So if you were to chart my weight going back, like, 20 years at this point, it would look like a sine curve or something. Like, it's just, like, constantly up and then down and then up and down. And it's been narrowing over time. Uh, I think, really, like, since I... Like, when I was playing high school football, like having weight on me was something mm-hmm. that like still mattered and I was lifting mm-hmm. I was lifting for bulk more than like working out just to be more fit or whatever so I was I I weighed uh, entering my senior year of high school I think I weighed like 30 more pounds than I weigh right now um but right now I weigh like 20 more pounds than I did 
probably in March, which is horrible. <laughs> but that's because I'm sort of at the at the top end right now, and that's why this is kind of on my mind. And so I do that's, have, like, over the... That's so funny to me, because I generally will... I feel like I only ever see you from, like the neck up <laughs> so you always look the same to me um well good well that's that's see no but if you look closely that's just because you're not paying close enough attention because my face gets that's fatter my face gets fatter and shrinks and like again like it's not something i'm like at this point even right. terribly self-conscious about because right. like i know like i i'm married so and like my, <laughs> my wife loves me no matter how i look or, or where i'm at health wise you know but I do want to not die, and I do yeah, want to have my clothes works. fit as best as possible, you know, so I do, so that's what happens, is, is like, you know, once a year, uh, and, and, and it's sort of, now it's become a pattern, because, well, uh, again, like, it'll be, like, the, the baseball season happens, I sort of just started slowly eating less and less healthy, gaining weight, I can gain weight so quickly, um, because if left to my own devices, I would just, like, eat myself to death, I think, because um, I love food, right, so... Um, so now it's like sort of this constant pattern of like, I get through the baseball season and you're like, ah, well, Thanksgiving's coming up. I don't need to diet yet. I don't need to, I don't need to lose weight. And then like you get to Christmas and you're like, oh no, I got new clothes and, and I look terrible in all of them. Right. So, so, and that's, again, it's just like a, a personal thing. It's not like something where it's like, I'm that concerned about how the Mm -hmm. world judges me. And, and I, maybe that's, that's a lucky thing that I have that I'm not, uh, just diminishing, you know, body image issues by any, by any means. But, uh, having done the Atkins diet, having done the cabbage soup diet, having done, uh, you know, every different, uh, one of these fad diets you can, you can find. I can tell you that I think that to some extent they're all BS, right? Mm -hmm. That, uh, especially things when it says like lemon juice cleanse and you're just going to starve yourself for a few weeks. There's no real scientific reason you need to be cleansing out your your gastrointestinal system your gastrointestinal system does that for you right so like oh because you know you need to whatever the the clogged waste that's in you it's like an extension of like the bubblegum myth that you heard in elementary school that things just sort of stay in you stay forever in, yeah um and, and there are many different ways you can clean yourself out without uh eating i don't want to get i don't want to i don't want to get into that but, but let's it, not let's not let's, but yeah, if you're let's at a colonoscopy you you wind up clean right so, uh, so I can say that that I think they're they're all dumb and things like this though. Like I think they do kind of work because I think what you need, I mean, more than anything, here this is it, and this is this is a, a you can book this as the number one, the uh, all-knowing miracle diet: um, eat less and exercise more. Right? That's it. It's just eat less and exercise more, and you will get in better shape. That's just the case, right? And so things like this taco diet, which is saying, like, eat this many tacos, that works because a lot of people need some sort of regimen, right? And you can say – and I've done it in the past where it's like – like I, uh, where I say, okay, like I know I'm going to eat uh, mm-hmm. two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I like, for a while – and, and it worked. Like I, I, I think so – but really, that whole point is about modulating what you're eating, right? It does. It has nothing to do with the. I mean, it has a little bit to do with the kind of food you're eating, but it really is just about almost, you know, being mindful in a sense about what you're consuming. Even, because if you're just like, okay, I'm going to do the peanut butter and jelly cleanse or whatever it is, it's taking out a bunch of stuff from your diet. It just means that you're eating less. So. It's exactly that, right? And yeah. so, like, and so that's what I was going to say. It's like I could say like. 
like, and like, I, maybe I'll do it, right? Like, I can, I can start right now, and I can say, I ate seventy-five sandwiches in a month and lost ten pounds, and right. like. And I'm not going to do that because it just seems like a lot of work, but I could do that, right? Like, I, I know I could do that because I could just – that would be all I ate, right? And that's why it works for Jared from Subway, right? Be, and uh, that's a bad example because we don't, <laughs> don't want to associate anything with Jared from Subway. But the, uh, Or the, the Taco Bell, they, they had the, the drive through diet was a thing right. for a while, right? And, and the thing is she went to, the, to Taco Bell and she had – her meal was like one taco. So if you're only eating one taco for Taco Bell for a meal, it's not a balanced meal. Right, but you're going to lose weight because that's not a lot of food. And, exactly. And so I, I think like the key with yeah, like I think the taco one looks great because a taco is a fairly, uh, it's a fairly you can have a lot of varieties of taco, right? You can make yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I could. I can make a fish taco or a steak taco or a chicken taco or a tofu taco if I wanted, and keep keep things interesting. And and you can have some vegetables on there, and you can eat sort of fairly balanced meals while only eating tacos. And a taco is a small thing. So if you say, "Oh, I'm only allowed to eat four tacos a day," and that's all you eat, of course you're going to lose weight, of right? Course, it's but- it's cutting out donuts that matters. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's a, there was a documentary on PBS and I think it was just earlier this week, but it was called, it's about healthy-ish eating, which is like a Michael and Michael Pollan like did a whole thing about how literally you like the only, like, and it's exactly what you just said. Like you literally just have to eat less. Like it just is about being like, I'm not going to restrict myself to like lemon water, cayenne pepper cleanses for the next three weeks. But to kind of balance it out by saying, look, if I'm going to have a Krispy Kreme for breakfast this morning, then I'm definitely going to make sure I have a salad for lunch and a very light dinner. Do you know what I mean? Versus uh, like doubling down on like, well, I had two Krispy Kremes for, for, you know, every day for a week. So now I'm just going to go straight cayenne pepper water for, for the next three days. Right, because, like, because that doesn't work. And that's you're, crazy. You're starving yourself and that's, yeah, how they, that's not yourself. healthy. And then what happens is you lose a ton of weight and, and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe I lost 15 pounds in a month. And because you didn't eat, you didn't eat. Yeah. And then all then next month you're, you gain the 15 pounds back. The only way exactly. you're really going to keep weight off. And again, this is, uh, this is not because I do successfully keep weight off, but I can do it for a few months at a time at the very least is by just having a healthier lifestyle. And, like, for me, it's just about, like, if I'm going to the gym every day, then I'm usually in a pretty good spot because it perpetuates itself, and I enjoy going to the gym, and I get into the mode where it's like I I feel like I need to be in the gym, you know? Like, I need to go once a day or else I don't feel right. And when you get to that spot, then, shockingly enough, you start – fitting your clothes and your clothes better and looking better and feeling better right and and mm. it's not like a big secret you eat less and you exercise more and and i get that some people could use some sort of structure around that um but it's it's not like it's a complicated thing no i think it's my cousin is doing this weird thing where he like works out and then because of some article he read doesn't eat right away because it's supposed to be better for your muscles or your body fat or some random garbage. And it's just the dumbest thing that I've ever heard. Like it makes no sense. Like work out, eat when you get hungry and try not to eat a bunch of trash. Like I, I, I think diets are so, so dumb. And, and like the whole, and you know, look, I'm not a, I'm not a fitness expert by any means. And like there, but there are always, and this is again, because I've been working out with some regularity now for like 20 years, 
there are always trends, right? Like when I when I was first working out, it was like you do uh, you do you do ISO training. So it's like today is leg day, and all I'm gonna do is legs, and I'm gonna do, you yeah. know legs legs legs, and then tire out my legs, and then tomorrow is arms. And then it sort of evolved into being like, no, you should be working out your full body and do this. It doesn't. It, I mean, like, look, if you if you're like. Billy Blanks, or you're trying to be like the top fitness guy, maybe that matters. But if you're like regular average Joe who just yep. wants to fit into pants, then yeah. just work out. <laughs> just work out, right? Whatever you do, just whatever. Just go to the gym. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Right? Just um, spending the, like it for me, like I have to go to the gym because once I go to the gym, then I feel like obligated to spend 45 minutes there or people are going to judge me. And so that's it. Like just getting myself into the gym is the workout I need because it forces me to walk around the gym finding ways to entertain myself. And the only ways to do that are working out. Well, I like I said, I'm a big fan of yoga. So if you get tired of working out, you should definitely just take a yoga class because they they just like you get in a hot room and they just tell you what to do. It's great. Uh, hot yoga freaks me out. I'm not into that. I don't I don't want to I don't want to sweat any more than I already do. Right? <laughs> it's like not I'm, it's not Bikram. It's just you know heated a hot flow is not like Bikram levels of sweat. Uh, I can say that to yoga. Like I, I and like again, it's something I take up occasionally. Every time I do yoga uh, for like two or three weeks, I feel incredible, and it's like, oh my god, I, I can bend down and touch my toes. I can like, I like, like I, I dropped something and I caught it while it was coming down. Like I'm so much more coordinated than I feel before, and like I feel great. Like I can't believe how flexible and balanced I feel. And then like I miss a day, and then I just skip it for like two months, and then I'm right back to square one. I, uh, one of my big things is that for, for FDW, we've got a lot of people on the staff that work out, even if it's sporadically. Um, I want us all to go to a yoga class as my team building See, I activity. would absolutely <laughs> not be willing to do that because I am so embarrassingly inflexible. That, you, you can be in the back. Uh, no, I can't. I can't. I'm too judgy. Like, I, I feel like, and like, maybe I trust that you people don't judge me, but I'm 100%. No, we judge. Yeah, I'm going to 100%. <laughs> like, that was, my old gym used to have, that was their slogan, was like, no judgments. And it's like, says who? Because I'm 100% <laughs> here judging people, right? Like, that's half of what gets me in the door is the ability to walk around and be like, I'm stronger than that guy. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, right? No, so I like, I will, well, right, well yoga is definitely, like the whole thing about yoga is non-judgment, right? Like you're not allowed to judge your oh, body. No. You're not allowed to judge other people, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I will, when I get to the gym, I will, when I'm at the gym, I will judge people who I don't think are working out hard enough. <laughs> like that, that's that. where my judgment goes, where I'm like, I was like, dude, this dude is just like, like crawling on the treadmill and like talking on his cell phone. He doesn't need to be at the gym, you know. I hear he that. He can do that at home, yeah. But I will say, like the the any of the yoga I do, it's like online videos, and I feel like the woman on the video is judging me, even if <laughs> if it's a one way correspondence, because she's like, oh, get a nice easy stretch as you lift your leg over your head, and I like can't get my leg up past my waist. <laughs> and like, yeah, don't tell me what to do. I can't. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Moving on. Um, we got time for one more question. Um, do you do you want to pick it or can, can I? We, pick uh, it? Well, I want to handle one of them extremely quickly. Uh, yeah. My man Chris Wilcox wants to know if you were a dinosaur, what kind of dinosaur would you be? This uh, goes back to all of the previous things. I would want to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex because I would really love. Damn to, it. I would really love to eat dinosaur, and <laughs> so uh, that that's the way to do it, right? <laughs> Uh, well, Tyrannosaurus Rex would be awesome. I will say, eh, I think that from Jurassic Park, those velociraptors were, were pretty amazing. Well, like, those things are brutally fast and vicious. Like, I'm, I'm into that. 
you want to be like the smart, cunning dinosaur, and I want to be like the big, lunky dinosaur that eats everything in its path. I just, I want it, like, I liked how, uh, I liked how quick they were. I was like, I'll never run that fast. I want to be a freaking velociraptor. Let's do it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, okay, Fair last, enough. last question, and I think a really good way to end 2016 in general, end a year, uh, comes <laughs> from Jay Destro on Twitter. Why is everything awful always? Why is everything awful always? That is really such a great question. Do you, I, I feel like I, I feel like misery is kind of your beat, Hamill. <laughs> I, I feel like that's so sad that misery is my beat. Which, and for for people who aren't in FTW Slack, which is the majority of our listeners, um, I do have a reputation for I don't want to say being like a negative naysayer, but I'm very I'm the realist, right? Like I'm the one who doesn't really get excited about the panda gifts. Um, like every time you know a cute animal or a cute baby does a thing it's not necessarily like it's not necessarily something that i something that i lose my mind over um i will say that i'm a realist but i will say that my my general feeling is that things are are always terrible like everyone is like wants 2016 to be over so that we can move on to a bigger better 2017 and i was telling joe fleming who is our college's editor and sits next to me that everyone's in for a rude awakening because 2017 is going to be just as bad, if not worse. <laughs> Equally horrible. I'm with Equally you. Equally horrible. And 2015 was also not great. But my, you know, I'm I'm very much of of the of the thinking that people who are constantly hoping for things to get better are are delusional because we're we're all just always going to be on this level of suck. <laughs> get used to it, guys. I I could not possibly agree with you more. I feel like <laughs> life, like you start out with all sorts of hope and like energy and youth and uh and, and like sort of like a, at least for 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 those of us lucky enough to 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 say this, like you're sort of uh, you're given this like perfect beginning, right? And like you have mm-hmm. uh, everything is possible, right? And then I feel like every single day the world just conspires to beat you down a little bit more. Like, and I always say, like if you haven't dealt with awful, horrible tragedy or or, or terrible life events, just wait because it's coming (laughs) and so yeah so that's why that's why everything is always awful because uh everyone you know and love will someday die right like it's just (laughs) like because we're humans and that's life on earth and so yeah uh, it's not getting better it's not getting better so one of the craziest stories that i've seen this this week has been like the kickstarter to protect betty white which i understand is kind of done in jest but this like this mentality that 2016 is what's making people die i know that part of it is a joke but i think a lot of people actually believe that like death is a thing that doesn't have to happen like they keep they keep, i'm like why are you people surprised that like an 84 year old woman you know passed away after her daughter died like that's a very sad traumatic thing to happen um yeah it is it's really funny because uh, Everyone wants to exist in this bubble and kind of pretend that terrible things don't happen. And I envy those people because those are the ones that haven't really experienced like any kind of real shock or any kind of like tragic loss. Like without really getting too into it, you and I both have been through the trenches a little bit in in different parts of our lives. So I, I consider myself lucky in the fact that like 
my life is relatively stable and there's, you know, lots of like comfort in it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I think that things are great. I'm like, no, everything is always going to be awful. I'm so sorry, Jay, but it is. <laughs> uh, and, and and I think you, you come from the same perspective as, as I do on things like celebrity deaths, which are sad yeah. for the celebrities and their families, but it's like, it's just not something that upsets me all that. Like, I, I see people acting like it's like they're someone extremely close to them, and, and like, I get that it's sad. Like, David Bowie is a great example. David Bowie is like one yeah. of my all-time favorite musicians, right? Like, yeah. like yeah. I have listened to Hunky Dory probably more than I I've listened to any other album in my life. Uh, I I am so thrilled for the music he produced. Uh, I wasn't really listening to a lot of David Bowie's new stuff. I never got to see him in concert, right? There's some things I regret about David Bowie dying, but, like, does... And, like, again, all due respect to David Bowie and his family and everyone who's actually grieving that, right? But, like, I feel like randos on the internet, it's not really even your place to grieve that if you weren't, like, someone who was close to David Bowie and and had him as a a part of your life. So, like, for me, it's like, yeah, that that sucks, right? Like, it sucks for David Bowie that David Bowie died. But, like, am I... Is like my day to day life sadder because David Bowie is not walking this earth anymore? Like, I, I'm sorry to say, and like, I don't want to sound crass, but like, not really, right? Yeah, not really. I mean, and I think the people that do, especially if they are on Twitter or on social media and kind of have outsized reactions to celebrity that to celebrity deaths, are the ones that haven't really lost somebody close to them because because that's a different kind of grief right because we know that that is really going to mess up your life whereas david bowie dying it's going to make you feel sad for about 15 minutes until you move on to the next internet thing that pops up um so yeah no i totally we're we're definitely on the same page about that my one exception to that the one thing that i did actually feel incredibly sad about was uh when paul walker died like paul walker like i'm and for people that don't know i'm a huge fast and furious fan so that was was definitely upsetting and i still kind of will you know watch fast and furious and be like man this sucks so that's like the one celebrity death that i hold as an exception and for me that was that was jose fernandez bro because um because he was so young because he was a guy i had met a couple times not like i knew him but like yeah he seemed like i mean and and mostly because i'm so invested and so in love with baseball that like to me he was such a bright spot on the baseball landscape that it was just like if you could have picked like if you could have named me like if you uh, said like who would be the baseball player whose death would make you the saddest (laughs) I probably would have said Jose Fernandez right like and so that that one that one got to me because that one was and like so maybe we're being sort of narrow-minded here right maybe like every person who's having these over Overwhelming re- reactions on Twitter to a celebrity. Maybe those are all their favorite celebrity. I kind of doubt it. But I kind of doubt know, it. I, I do think, like, look, there's a. It's okay to be sad about stuff. But I think ultimately, what we're sad about um, is like our own mortality, right? Like, it's <laughs> that, that it's coming for us too. It is, and and that is what is the kind of the underlying. This is so grim. <laughs> this is so grim. This is such a great way to end the podcast for the year. And then, I mean, it's totally true, though. That's that's kind of the psychological undercurrent to all this resistance against celebrity deaths and 2016 being so utterly horrible is that people don't want to accept the fact that, you know, it's coming for you guys. 
sorry. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be for a while. It won't be for, for a long time. <laughs> well, with that, why don't we wrap up for the year? Uh, <laughs> ideally, we will be feeling a little bit better come 2017. Uh, certainly this podcast is not dead yet. So we can uh, we can get about making it a little bit brighter, and if not, if not, hopefully we can at least help entertain you until you die. <laughs> right? We're all here. We're, right. all, we're all here trying to make we're things. We're all just here trying to entertain ourselves until the end comes. And I think pretending otherwise uh, might be a fool's errand. So you know, okay. it's, this has been this has been a very fun hour though. So so thank you, Ted. Um, and we went to an hour again, despite saying we yeah. wouldn't. Hamill, thanks so much again. Uh, if you've listened this long, we would really appreciate uh, feedback on iTunes, on on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, all of the different places you can find the For the Win podcast. Please subscribe, uh, rate us, review us, tell your friends about the For the Win podcast. Uh, I hope it to be good. I do hope it will be good and expect it will be very good in 2017, unlike basically everything else. This is your beacon of good stuff that still exists in a world of uh, every single other thing being awful. So stick around, and uh, Hamill, uh, have, a, have a happy new year. Happy new year. Peace out.